Hello and welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Frasier. I'm Will. I'm Key. And this week we're not looking at the next episode, which is Flower Child. That will be the week after, but we are instead, as promised, looking at the interview, the email interview I conducted with Joe Keenan, one of the main writers on Frasier for about seven years, and indeed the writer of last week's episode, The Matchmaker. And I conducted a quick interview with him just to ask him five questions to pick his brains about what he loves about the show, his favorite episodes, etc., etc. So me and Key, we're going to kind of alternate reading these out and we're going to kind of think through what he said and you can kind of get an insight into what it was like being a writer on the show of Frasier. So I'm going to read the first question out, Key. And uh, do you want to read his response? Uh, yeah, I mean, just I, I don't, I've never heard Joe Keenan speak. Does he have like an accent? Or I have not either. Um, <laughs> I think I think he gives me quite of a, a bit of an old money vibe, but you know, I maybe if he, I don't think he's ever going to listen to this and I hope that doesn't offend him. But um, I really, whatever you think old money sounds like you uh, you go for it but um, so posh i think old money <laughs> yeah you can if you want to put a posh accent on. um <laughs> i guess a quick bit of context was two years ago um i wrote an article for little white lies which is a british film magazine they also do tv as well and it was all about it was a long read celebrating the 25th anniversary of fraser and what it kind of means to me as a show and in many ways going to set the seeds for for what would become this podcast and uh i was asked by the editors of that magazine if i could try and get a bit of an oral history thing going and see if I could reach out to writers and showrunners etc and you know I just thought it was going to be really difficult to get some of the big stars And but Joe to me was one of the big stars he's probably one of the most famous writers of that period because he's, he did so many iconic episodes for the show and I just messaged him on Twitter and he got back to me and then kind of ended up emailing me and he was very insistent on doing it via text which was fine with me because he was worried about kind of saying the wrong thing and being misquoted on audio and it being there forever so you know maybe he's had a bad run-in with journalists before um so it's very we have to very... read this word for word is what you're saying yeah basically i mean we can we can wax lyrical about what he might have meant or anything like that but we will read for verbatim what he said and we'll kind of we'll signal when we're beginning and ending that so i'll just read you the first question that i posed to joe keenan one of the most esteemed writers of fraser i said fraser is still very popular especially with millennials and has strong online communities on facebook reddit etc that still discuss and enjoy it to this day. What is it about the show that you think makes it so timeless, or do you find its enduring popularity a bit baffling, for want of a better term? I always hoped Frasier would stay popular. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way you can keep that accent up for the whole episode. <laughs> um, if Joe Keenan ever does, by some miracle, listen to this, I'm so, so sorry. Mr. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, I've forgotten what accent I was doing. But honestly, whatever you want to do, mate, you run with it. I'll, I'll, I'll have to just not laugh, so because otherwise it's going to spoil what he says. So if you want to put a posh one on, there's just going to be stony silence from my end. So make the decision and make it well. <laughs> okay, I can do this. Okay. I always hoped Frasier would stay popular because I knew that good TV comedies have a shot at longevity. People are still enjoying Sergeant Bilko and the Dick Van Dyke show decades after they finished. Funny stays funny as long as the other aspects of the show, especially the storytelling, don't age too badly. I think Frasier is popular now for the same reasons it was popular then. Good stories, smart jokes, a tonal palette wide enough to include both farce and heartbreak, amazing, hilarious actors playing characters full of comic flaws, but but still kind and decent enough for the audience to fall in love with them a little bit. It helps too that the show's world of psychiatric jargon and, and high culture snobbery 
remains refreshingly odd terrain for a sitcom. We were, unlike, say, Friends or, or Raymond, the one hit showed that absolutely no one tried to imitate then or now. And of course now, people can stream the show binging on the hermetic world and story arcs in a way that no one could when we were doing it. Wow, with apologies to Joe Kanan, excellently <laughs> performed there, Kane. Thank you so much. Um, a lot to kind of break down there, actually. I think my favorite part about that was him saying that the kind of even in the show's world of psychiatric jargon and high culture snobbery which he says that's an odd terrain for a sitcom which it definitely was i think the fact that they still made the show as popular as it was with this very specific and niche kind of language and world um i like the reference to friends and everybody loves raymond because you know they obviously would have been hyper aware of the kind of competition to Frasier as well. Um, I mean, yeah, does anything kind of stand out to you there particularly? Oh, interestingly, what, what really stands out for me is, is the same point you raised, but for a bit of a different reason. Mm, so it's so, really when, weird listening to your normal voice now. <laughs> please, honestly, I, I don't know how to jump in and out. I feel like I'm going to start slipping into it. But yeah, the bit where he talks about psychiatric jargon and high culture snobbery, it really reminds me of something that um, Croft and Perry said. So um, for those who aren't English listeners, uh, Croft and Perry are two of the all-time great English-British comedy writers. Um, they wrote Dad's Army, they wrote A Low, A Low, Heidi High. Honestly, there was a period where pretty much everything great coming out of the BBC in terms of comedy was Croft and Perry. And um, one of the things they said about things like A Low, A Low and, and Dad's Army and its enduring popularity in British culture was because they said the reason it's made to last is because you're never meant to identify with it in the same way that you do other comedy shows. They said, you know, a show that's based in the 80s will be funny in the 80s, but once the culture moves on, people won't get the same jokes in the same way. Whereas yeah, if they, that's why they set a lot of their shows like during the war and things like that, because, you know, it, it comes out in the 60s, comes out in the 80s, the 90s. You know, you, you're not experienced that necessarily. So you're already, you're finding it funny, but not from personal experience. Yeah. Um, and that's what helps it to endure. That was what one of their great, like, thinking of comedy is. And I think Frasier in some ways is quite similar because you're never meant, I mean, certainly I don't, I've, I've, you know, I'm not like, Frasier and Niles in the sense of you know their wealth and, and their experience and their background and so I think because of that because I'm in sometimes you know sometimes you're laughing at the situation you're laughing with them but other times you're laughing at them because of the way they yeah. are and their lifestyle that you just don't have and I think because of that you can continue to laugh at them it's not dependent on a, you know a an understanding of the time or, or the culture and things like that. And I think that's part of the reason for me. I think it, it helps to endure. Massively so. I really agree. I mean, you just said there. I, I, but Joe kind of talking about that tonal palette being so broad, it kind of encompassing farce and heartbreak. We've had farce last week. Um, you know, heartbreak is only ever a few episodes away in kind of, even in watered down form in Frasier, there's always some kind of heartbreak around the corner, particularly in Frasier's Love Life or, or kind of therein but yeah just I, I, the way he talks about people still enjoying the dick van dyke show as well like he just he's they obviously all the writers had such a grasp on what was good what worked what made things timeless and frazier just doesn't have that kind of pop culture reliance that it would thus age badly like you say something set in the 80s is going to be very clearly set then frazier like although it's a 90s show and maybe 90s fashion is a big part of it 
his apartment, you know, the radio show conceit, really, all of those things are timeless. It, you know, that none of them have gone out of fashion. His job as a psychiatrist isn't, like, period-specific. Um, so I just think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Do you want to read the second question out, Key? I'm just going to forewarn everyone. I am not the one with a dramatic <laughs> arts background. I will not be attempting an accent for Joe Keenan. But, Key, I, I encourage you to carry it on, because if listeners aren't scared enough already, they will be by the time you've done it again. Um, yeah, if you want to read question two out. Question two. You're responsible for writing some <laughs> of the show's most acclaimed episodes. Do you have a personal favourite? More like a favourite half dozen. I always loved writing B.B. Glazer because Harriet Harris was so funny and the character could do insanely unscrupulous things our regulars couldn't. If pressed, my favourite might be Out With Dad, because it was the only one of the farces that veered from amusing twists, brackets, like Martin claiming to Niles was his boy toy, close brackets, to an unexpectedly sweet ending. Unusually, usually in farce, people tell lies to finagle sex or get away with something. In this one, every lie told was to spare someone's feelings. So two things there. One, we can't say too much about Out With Dad because that is like four, five seasons away. But it's a great episode and, you know, Joe is right to single that out. But we can talk about BB and Harriet Harris because we have beat the drum for BB quite a lot on this show already. And she's not even been in it that much. I love the fact that he's the person she singles out. A kind of cameo character who maybe has one or two episodes a season, if that. Um, but she just has such a kind of lasting shelf life in, in the world of the show. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if I said to you, BB and Lilith do a spin-off show where BB is Lilith's agent mm. and she goes into the world of radio psychiatry, would you watch that? I would watch the hell out of that. I mean, <laughs> BB and Lilith, just like, that's all we need. I think those those two characters in particular, we've said this a million times, but they're, they're so strong for supporting characters. I mean, not even supporting they're like cameo characters at best. Yeah, and such. I think they're so, so different in terms of their character from anyone else that's on the show. Mm. Um, and I know, obviously, with Lilith, again, maybe you can draw comparisons in terms of her being, you know, the high culture and very, very intellectual in the same way that Niles and Frasier are. But I still think there's a huge difference in the way that she goes about her interactions with other people. And in terms of the BB, like, there's a world of difference between her and anybody else in the show. You don't see anybody else so i mean well you know obviously we hear fraser and niles talk a lot about their ethics and things like that and in a few episodes time we're going to hear more talk about their ethics when i think we get to the candidate yes um, but bb has none of that and it's 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 so refreshing i think to see in a in a you know most sitcoms are generally full of nice people to have someone who's apparently you know a bit more morally gray i would say you know yeah she kind of works on her own agency doesn't she free of the the kind of strictures of normal morality that all the other characters seem to obey in some way yeah definitely and it's what sets her apart and it's just it's a phenomenal you know as he says harriet harris was so funny it's it's a testament to the actress that bb can be that sort of a character and yet still so immensely likable the viewer yeah i i it's interesting for me as well, like again he's talking about farce here because we know that that is what Joe is kind of best at. He was he was a brilliant kind of farcical writer. Um, and he talks about, you know, in usual in farce, people tell lies to finagle sex or get away with something. 
obviously one of his most, if not his most famous episode is the Ski Lodge, where that is exactly what's happening. All the people in that episode are vying to have sex with each other. And like, it's kind of, you know, it, it is a morally gray episode in that respect because no one really, everyone's out for themselves and no one kind of cares about the other people they're on holiday with in that episode. So it's interesting that he's written a few of these kind of sex comedies, if you will. But, you know, he they're not the same story repeated and that's what's important because Frasier has a lot of fast episodes but if you put a gun to our head and say you know are they really similar no they're not you know we talked last week about similarities you know between out with dad the matchmaker and the doctor is out but you know when you actually break it down the plots of those episodes the characters they're using the new characters they've written they're all very different and I just think yeah to the tonal palette of the show might have been very broad, as he says, but the tonal palette of his farce writing is equally as broad. And I think that's just, you know, a brilliant strength of him as a writer and indeed the writers he was working. Um, so I will read you the third question I posed to Joe Keenan Key. Uh, if you can, if you want to dust off your vocal cords and prepare Let's to see how we go here. Just say, it could be a completely different accent this time. Right, go for any accent you want. See what comes you've out. Not, you've not had a chance to be dramatic in a, in a kind of <laughs> official sense for a while, so I say let your muscles be stretched here. Um, the third question I posed to Joe Keenan was, what themes or ideas did you really try to foreground in your writing? What was important to you when penning your scripts? Mostly, we tried just not to repeat ourselves. <laughs> you like a mob boss. <laughs> you sound like Fat Tony. <laughs> okay, okay. Start again. I'm muted. <laughs> I'm broken. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Go for it. Go for it. Come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> this is not a joke eating quote. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, mostly we tried not to repeat ourselves too much. You know, you, you're gonna cover the same terrain a lot, you know, dating stories, father and son conflicts, sibling rivalry. So we'd always ask, what made a prospective story different from the ones we'd already done? What were we learning about these characters that we, or the characters didn't know before? How is this story a new step in a long arc or relationship? We'd often ask what a story was about thematically. That's not to say we didn't do episodes that weren't about much of anything on a thematic level, but we knew those had to be especially funny. Thank you, and again, <laughs> apologies to Joe Kane. <laughs> um, I love. I just want to ju just immediately jump into that last that last sentence. That's not to say that we didn't do episodes that weren't about much of anything on a thematic level, but we knew those had to be especially funny. Well, you look at an episode like My Coffee with Niles, and although the theme of that episode, I guess, is pretty strong, Are You Happy? Strictly speaking, maybe Joe's talking about theme here in a more broad sense, you know, like a kind of general plot cohesion and, you know, the broad idea for that episode. My Coffee with Niles, obviously, is very simple, it's minimalistic, it's bare bones, but obviously is one of the strongest episodes and it always gets cited. So, again, just shows here that they could do both really well. Yeah, and it's really interesting, actually. I mean, I'd, I would love to be in the writing room and see how, you know, they, they come up with the ideas and how, how they, they work through it and things. But it is interesting to think that they can go back to the same terrain as long as they're telling a different story. You know, we, we've drawn parallels between some episodes in the show already. You know, for instance, we did um, the title of the episode. The Matchmaker. Matchmaker, yeah, of course. Yeah, The Matchmaker. And, you know, we, we've drawn um, parallels with Out With Dad and things like that. As you've already said in, in this sort of mini episode, that they're very 
well, they're, they're, they're very similar in some ways, they're very different in other ways. And it's interesting that the, there was very much that perspective in the writing room of, okay, well, we can go back to this. You know, there was the courage to go back to it, but to tell it a different way. And, and I think you can do that. I think that over the course of a run of a show, you can tell the same story. Just to, for me, I, I do it just to show how a character has evolved or developed. And, say, yeah. and, and you know, to say, okay, this is how they reacted 10 years ago, but this is how they react to that situation now, because you really don't, I think, see the progress. Yeah, I think if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. They obviously had some formulas within the Frasier universe that worked. That's why we see episodes that are maybe spiritually you know sequels to one another but they work so well on their own and in their own right with their own plots and characters but yeah you know they weren't afraid to retread that terrain um, and as you say you know having the courage i think is a good word to go back and try and do it again in a new way which is just something that came off so so often you don't have a show that goes on for 11 years that wins 37 emmys or whatever the total was it was somewhere around there you don't have a show that does that that isn't afraid to say, right, well, we, we're doing something that works and we're going to keep doing it, but, you know, in a slightly different way. And I think for me as well, you know, someone who, as much as I love Frasier, you know, the word I always come back to and the word we always describe this podcast with, or that we hope the podcast becomes, is, you know, cozy and comforting in some ways, which, you know, a few people recently have said that's that's what they think of the podcast which obviously is just you know amazing for me and you to hear but i think that a lot of that comes to me when watching the show because of that similarity and that rep you know repetition he says you know you've got to be careful you don't repeat yourself and they they didn't do that um overtly but like the internal repetitions of kind of minor plots and minor characters and stuff and even like just themes of episodes obviously that is there because you have to have some repetitions to keep the show consistent and maybe it's because they were just handled so well kind of in the background almost like on a, on a subconscious level that that's why the show is so comforting because you know we, we as human beings get comfort from routine and habit and, and that kind of thing and maybe in some way Frasier was, was tapping into that um, I don't know if you've ever yeah. thought about that in any way yeah, I mean, I think it was really interesting, actually. There was an article I read not too long ago about part of the reason that people like shows like Friends so much is because you you know everything that's going to happen and it's predictable and, and you know, you're, you're so familiar with it, you've maybe seen it so many times that it, it, it's, I think the, the article said it, it was like a safe haven from the unpredictability of the world. Yeah. You know, for, for 20 minutes, you can sit down and you know exactly what's going to happen and you feel in control of that in a sense because there's no surprises to you. Yeah, um, I, I massively so. I mean, I think I've mentioned this article before, but just to give it another plug, there's one on the Atlantic called, um, I think it's called The Deep Comfort of Mediocre sitcoms and the, the kind of banner sitcom that they were talking about was just shoot me which was a rat I've, I've talked about it before it aired around the same time as frazier a huge fan of just shoot me and it's probably most famous star is david spade who's been in a lot of adam sandler films and kind of a star in his own right uh people will recognize him um particularly american audiences and, uh, you know, this article talked about that as being, you know, kind of a mid-level sitcom. It wasn't kind of the lofty heights of Frasier, but, you know, it, exactly all the things you've just said. You know what's coming. It's predictable, but not in a boring way, in a safe way. And they're definitely not the same thing. And I think, yeah, Joe's kind of tapping into those ideas, the way he talks about Frasier here. So do you want to read the next, the penultimate question I posed to him? And again, I will respond sans accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question four. Were there any ideas or, or episodes that you really wanted to write, but never quite got the chance? No. The pressure of finding 24 stories a year for 11 years, seven of which I was there for, was so daunting that we discarded nothing that seemed like the basis for a worthy episode. If anything, there were a handful, brackets, a mercifully small one, close brackets, 
but we regarded as a bit subpar, but which had nonetheless squeaked through quality control because we had to shoot something that week, and they were the best we could come up with. And no, I will not cite examples since every script had a writer's name on it. That said, there must have been story notions we liked but couldn't figure out an ending, brackets, or even a middle, close brackets, for. Our main storyboard had a column of notions in blue magic marker, the blue connoting unfinished, figuring out a good ending for a half-done idea, moving the story from the blue side of the board to the black, finished side, was always an occasion for joy, especially when the idea had lingered on the blue side for a long time. Many blue notions, no doubt, never made the trip. I just can't recall what any of them were. So much interesting stuff here that kind of reveals what the writing process was like. That idea of having a kind of a quality control, you know, presumably there's the head writers, there's the kind of assistant writers, and all of these ideas are on like a, an assembly line, really, of, of, of kind of intelligent minds looking at them and thinking, this doesn't quite hold water, maybe this does, like maybe let's give this a go and rewrite this. I love the, the storyboard with the blue marker and the blue and the black and kind of moving one idea from the next. So I just think maybe they had an idea in the blue for my coffee with Niles, which was Niles and uh, Frasier meet for coffee. Niles asks Frasier, is he happy? You know, they just must have spent so long looking at that, thinking, how do we get that from blue to black? How do we make this an episode about, you know, 22 minutes long? about the two of them that isn't boring or anything you know if anything that's one of the riskiest episodes they ever made but yeah there's so much going on here that's interesting yeah i mean my, my thoughts on this one i'm gutted that it's blue and black and not red and black just because i don't know if you've ever seen the old debt adverts that are on it's only in british tv we have debt adverts and it always ends with go from the red into the black <laughs> yeah and it's and, always you know I'm, I'm out of the red or i'm in the black or i'm in the red you know yeah that kind of um, common parlance and i could have made a fun joke about that but unfortunately they, have, didn't, they didn't do that so being punished uh, for that accent you've been putting off <laughs> <laughs> um but no it's really it's always i think it's so so fascinating to sort of get a look behind it's a bit it i don't know how to describe it, it's a bit like seeing behind the stage, you know, seeing what goes on in the writer's room. And and I, I feel it's something that as a, as a fan of most shows, you don't ever really find out much about. Mm. Um, but it is really, really interesting. I know like from The Simpsons, for instance, I know that they, they told a joke X amount of times. And if you did, weren't laughing by, I don't know, I don't know if it was five times, ten times, whatever it was. If you weren't laughing after that amount of times, it didn't make the show because I didn't think it had staying power. Wow. Um, and it's so interesting just to see the processes and and what goes into it. And it, I mean, may, maybe, you know, I know he says that he can't recall what some of them were that never made the trip to the, the black zone for months mm. of that term. Um, and maybe, that, maybe that's a testament to the fact that they weren't deemed good enough that you know that he, he they don't have that staying power and he can't recall them but um, they probably got so many over to the black because of just the sheer force of will and intelligence that it's actually probably a good thing he can barely remember them because there probably weren't that many in the end that they had to leave by the wayside That's yeah I think, and anyway. i mean honestly, i don't write as much as you but like, the first rule of writing as far as i'm concerned is that endings are hard so oh. You endings know. are hard openings are even harder <laughs> it's just yeah. the middle bit's great though that flows yeah that's where you can just kind of jump right in there you know that's why so many writers go back and rewrite you know and spend ages getting the sentence opening sentence opening paragraph right i mean what, what i find interesting here is one very gracious of joe not to mention any episodes he thinks were subpar because obviously he says everyone had every all of these scripts had a writer attached to them everyone kind of gave their heart and soul to these things just because it wasn't good 
you know, in their eyes doesn't mean, you know, fans didn't like it because even the most controversial episodes, like in season 10 or 11, Freudian Sleep, the kind of weird, surreal, it's almost like a, an alternate reality episode, that gets regularly cited as one of the poorest moments in the show. However, there's plenty of people on Fraser Fan Club, for example, who are huge fans. So, you know, the, even even the, the duds that we might we might call them as, um, they, they still have their fans out there. I was going to say is that, you know, comedy and, and not just comedy, but, you know, what's the term in terms of just a world of, of entertainment, everything to do with that is so subjective in itself and how you connect to an episode and what makes you laugh, what makes you cry. And just how you relate to the characters and connect to the characters is entirely subjective to you. Mm -hmm. And whilst, you know, some episodes, there may be a greater number of people that connect with it. Some episodes, there might be, you know, a smaller number of people who feel they really connect to it. But any episode has the potential for you to really connect. I mean, I have no doubt there's at least, there may be someone, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there who regard the focus group as one of their all-time favorite episodes. Um, yeah. Because have we talked they... about the focus group as not, uh, do you not like that one as much? Or, you know I don't, but interesting you I, that one out um, I, I picked that one out because i'm well aware that it's not one it's one it's one you don't particularly oh, wow. love i did not know you'd remember that, that i wasn't a huge fan yeah yeah i mean i don't mind it anyway near as much as you i think it's i'll probably okay. like it more watching it back because i just i saw a clip recently of um is it tony shalhoub i'm not sure how you say his surname he's, yeah he's the guy who plays the kiosk owner and he's like yeah what the hell is a fanny pack <laughs> and the way he <laughs> says that it's just like incredible <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry, I completely stopped you mid-flow there. No, no, but, I mean, I was pretty much done. It's, it's, I say, it's all about how you connect, and that, for that reason, I, I think you, you can't, I don't I don't really buy into the idea generally of a show that, if you really connect to a show, then there's not necessarily bad episodes per se. I think it's more just episodes that you generally don't connect with as much as you do other episodes. You know, there are, there are some shows I love where I would say there are objectively bad episodes, um, but I probably wouldn't put Frasier necessarily in that category. Yeah, I, I think if I could maybe pick, yeah, like two two or three episodes of Frasier, is it, that is the most I could pick that I would say aren't good um, or are or bad. You know, that I, I, I struggle to get through. Freudian sleep is one of them for me. I don't, I don't particularly like that episode, though I'm certainly going to have fun when we get to it in about five years' time. So, Key, do you want... Oh, no, I'm now going to read the question. The last question I put to Joe this is a kind of short answer. So for listeners out there dying inside listening to Key's Southern <laughs> mob boss accent, you uh, you don't have to listen to too much more. But I'm enjoying it. I'm sure a good people, a few people are. Um, wait, wait, is, just, I'm going to Google where Joe Keenan grew up. Because quickly do that now while I... Uh, if I found out that he grew up in like Bristol or something. This is I, don't, be... I think he's definitely American. I mean, if he's like a Southern dandy, then, you know, maybe you can kind of do the drawl a little bit more. Or, okay, um, he was. Oh, okay, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, so he's, he's like got almost maybe like a Boston accent. Have you have you seen Goodwill Hunting? You know, I I have not. But Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in that. Okay, then then don't worry about doing a Boston accent because we can. Are, are you? I'm way off. Basically, is what yeah. we <laughs> So, question five, the last question I put to Joe when I spoke to him a couple of years ago. As a huge, passionate fan of the show, Frasier has really helped me through some difficult times. It's a comforting constant that I always return to. The show means very much to me. What does the show mean to you now that you've been separated from it for some time? I remain very fond of it and proud. I'm delighted, of course, that people still find it funny in the way that I still love Woodhouse or Benson or the films of Preston Sturgis and that the show inspires the sort of affection in new audiences that we felt for it when we were making it. I sometimes find myself using it as a yardstick for new ideas 
whether for a play or, or a pilot. The idea needn't and shouldn't be at all similar, but I still ask if it was, will be as much fun to write as Frasier was. If the characters are as engaging to me and to others, or the possible variations as profuse. Excellently read, Kay, and again, apologies to Mr. Joke. <laughs> um, a, really, a really lovely way to sum up that kind of mini interview, I think. Um, I, I love the fact that he's still fond of it and he's still proud. And it's so nice that, you know, he... he uh, he probably, you know, I, I know Perry has a particular Perry Gilpin has a particular knowledge of the this kind of survival of the show, the show's life span beyond the show on on kind of social media and stuff. She follows a couple of Instagram accounts. She's aware of Fraser Fan Club. She was on Anita Flores's podcast. So you know, I, I, the, the fans and the, the writers and the actors of the show obviously have some kind of awareness of the community that exists beyond. But I like that he kind of makes those comments. You know that he's he's just delighted, of course, that people still find it funny. Yeah, he cites you know like PG Woodhouse and. Preston Sturges, etc. And it's just like, you know, those to him is what Frasier is to us. Again, it's just that timelessness. It's that, you know, separated by however many years. We're a whole new generation. We were not the generation Frasier was written for. And yet, if anything, you know, not to put a disservice to the people that watched Frasier, you know, live when it was coming out, but, you know, we're making a podcast about it. You know, we, we clearly love the show to a point where, you know, it's, it's beyond kind of average just watching this every week and enjoying it. So... Um, the fact that it had that kind of cross-generational appeal, I think, is massive. And yeah, just I, I, I like that kind of you know idea that you know I, I ask, will it be as much fun to write as Frasier was? You know, talking about hypothetically about other shows, people, you know, they might write some some something that's better than Frasier, might win more Emmys than Frasier, but did they have as much fun doing it and drafting these characters and coming up with these farcical episode plots? And yeah, just a really, it's a short interview, but I think it's very insightful and it kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit on, on what the writing process was like. Yeah, I mean, for me, what, what really stands out for me in this final uh, comment mm-hmm. uh, is that he, he says he's proud of doing it. Yeah. And he absolutely should be because it's a testament to great shows that me and you, odds are, we're never going to meet Kelsey Grammer, we're never going to meet David Hyde Pierce, never going to meet Perry Gilpin. We, we never met John Mahoney Brad unless Mahar, you, you have a great it. story that I don't know about. No, I really um, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did, mate. And yeah, when I don't know about you, when John Mahoney died, I was gutted, you know? Yeah, it, was, it, it hit me more than any celebrity death has hit me for a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean, in the same way I felt like when Robin Williams died, for instance, you know, yeah, these people we've never met, you know, they don't know we exist but you have that you feel in some ways they feel like a member of the family or a friend they 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 are someone who's had an impact on your life because you've seen them through a television screen or heard them on the radio and it's you know they they should everyone in the show should be so so proud of what they've achieved because i can guarantee for all of them if the fact is when there, there are people out there who've been going through difficult times who've been struggling and and what has helped them get through it is watching that person on television and watching Frasier and watching, you know, we, we could go into a dozen shows that has had that, that impact on people. But the fact they've created something that, that can have such a positive impact on people and they, they should be absolutely very, very proud of that. They absolutely should. You know, I don't, I don't want to say anything beyond that, Kate, because I think that was a very wonderful summary. 
Um, I think that's a really nice way to bring this kind of mini episode, a little interview with Joe Keenan, uh, to a close for this week. So we hope you enjoyed that. Really great to hear from Joe. Again, it, Joe's never going to listen to this, but I just want to publicly thank him for being so generous with his time. For and I want to publicly apologise <laughs> for everything. Yeah, please don't sue Key in any way for uh, <laughs> possible slander or. But yeah, just thank you, thank you for being so generous with your time and offering such wonderful thoughts. You know that might have only taken you twenty minutes to write that email but obviously we have made you know a podcast episode out of it and given it to, to hundreds of people that listen so no it obviously had a, a, a big life cycle um just before we wrap up i've got one quick thing i'm going to be promoting now um probably most weeks before, until it happens but a good friend over at fraser fan club is patrick counselor and he does loads in the kind of behind the scenes for the fraser community he's always organizing uh, giveaways and games and just generally keeping the spirit of the fraser community alive and he regularly hosts each year fraser crane con and last year i believe they he actually met up with a few people from fraser fan club in seattle they actually made the trip obviously they lived in america anyway but it's still a big trip and and uh, they they met up in Seattle. They did like a little mini tour of, of the kind of the show's haunts and just yeah, just it's every it, it represents everything we love about the Fraser community and what we kind of have kind of become a part of through our podcast. And we're very proud to be kind of sponsors of this year's Fraser Crane Con, which is happening virtually over on Fraser Fan Club on Facebook on S- September Sunday, thirteenth of September. Um, so if you're not a member of Fraser Fan Club, go ahead and join it. Um, there is quite a long list of missions however you know if you listen to the podcast and you write in that you've joined maybe me and key can uh, kind of slip you in the door like the empire club we can try and smuggle you in um but the whole day virtually patrick and a few others including myself we're going to be doing little giveaways, kind of posts and games and trivia, that kind of thing. I've talked before about my kind of lost season of Frasier that I want to write 24 fan episode scripts. And I have one already. I'm going to be giving away a copy of that script kind of virtually. But if you live in the UK and you win, I will actually print off and send you a physical copy. So if there's any UK listeners listening, um, hopefully that's some incentive for you to get involved. Um, but yeah, just a reminder, that's happening on September the 13th, which is a Sunday. But other than that, I've been Will. I've been Kay. And thank you very much for listening to We're Listening. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Oh my. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegs. Ha! But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs.